Turning Point Coaching and Consulting presents Kairos Conversations, Connecting with Quality, the podcast. Kairos is Greek for the right time, the right season, and the right opportunity. This podcast features healthcare quality professionals who share their journeys, their advice, their struggles, how they made that transition into a new and exciting role. My heart's desire is that you find this podcast to be inspirational to you as you make your own journey. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and friends and rate us on whichever podcast platform you listen to. Thank you for being here. So I'm here today with my next guest, Dawn Hayes. Thank you, Dawn, for joining me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Let's start with introducing yourself to the audience. So I'm Dawn Hayes, and I am currently a manager of oncology quality and accreditation um, at a hospital system in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm happy to be here today to talk about uh, my experience and how my career has evolved. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. And because I know a little bit about you, I know that you're a physical therapist, but tell people how you kind of got interested in oncology. I mean, we'll talk about quality in a minute, but how did you get involved in oncology? Well, I, you know, I think it just kind of happened as far as an opportunity. But as you said, I'm a physical therapist by trade and graduated in 1990 with a bachelor of science degree and worked 12 years. And most of my experience has been in the inpatient setting, uh, acute care, anywhere from the ED all the way through ICU. And I, you know, was exposed to a lot of different types of patients, including oncology, and really enjoyed that specialty. But I also was involved a lot in geriatric care and gerontology. So when I hit a place in my career clinically that I wanted just to grow some more, I started taking some college university courses. I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go. I took some business courses. I even dabbled in IT a little bit. And I came across a professor at the University of Georgia at a conference that was focused on gerontology. And it piqued my interest. And it seemed to go along with what I had clinically. And she led a lab at the University of Georgia in their doctoral program for aging and physical performance. And it just seemed to be a good match with my physical therapy background, but also really broadened my knowledge. And so after 12 years of working bedside and in the clinical realm, I sold my house and sold my car and dropped everything and went to UGA full time to work on my yeah, to work on my doctorate. They, it didn't, I didn't really feel like I had a choice to do part-time or um, work. And that program, I think, just wasn't really set up for the non-traditional student. And I was, you know, it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it full time. Um, I was able, I wasn't sure how the money was going to flow. And I stayed working some PRN weekend work with a rehab, inpatient rehab unit. And uh, I ended up getting an assistantship. So I was able to do some teaching during my doctoral program and be a research assistant. So it was really a wonderful experience. And that degree gave me, you know, a broader exercise science background, which matched my physical therapy. It gave me a graduate certificate in gerontology. So I really understood more than just geriatrics and the biology. I understood um, the social aspect, the psychology aspect. I really got a nice broad overview um, and it prepared me for the academic environment, which is what I went into um, after I graduated in 2007 
And I stayed in academics uh, for about five years and did all the right things and got tenured and became an associate professor. And really what preempted another change was just some leadership changes in the academic program and just the environment itself. So I was interested in looking at the corporate environment and came across, it's like, how can I use my research skills, my clinical skills? And I was very much involved in accreditation with our PT program. And so, you know, how can I translate those skills into another job? And I had a dear friend that was a director in surgical services who gave me some good guidance and she was looking across jobs and we came across this quality improvement specialist position in the hospital setting and it happened to be dedicated to the cancer institute so that's how i got involved in oncology full time and so you know i'll pause here but it just it really was uh, a pathway that i didn't know how it was going to work out. And when I look back on it, it's just amazing how the pieces just fit together and prepared me for where I am today and what I'm doing. That's amazing because I don't think I've ever heard your full story. Did you have to get a certification in order to get that quality improvement role at that hospital at that time? No, um, I did have to sell myself <laughs> a lot uh, because commonly those positions are held by nurses and that's who they look to to fill those roles. And I came in the door and they had recently changed the position and opened it up to other healthcare backgrounds. Um, but I don't think they knew how to handle someone like me. They, they were confused why I was leaving academe and why I would do that if I was tenured, which they didn't really understand the tenure process. And they were you know, curious as to how I would fit into that role. And I, I, I was shaken up by how many times I had an interview with them. It's like, what else can I tell you? <laughs> you know, and they, you know, it took a while. And they finally, I think, you know, took a chance on me and I came in the door and really was green, but I learned a lot. And I started in December and we had our first cancer program accreditation survey that following April, I think. So I had to learn all of those standards in about three or four months, which actually ended up working out well because diving into the standards and really understanding them and then going from there. But um, I look back on that and I think I just took it one day at a time. And I think the skill sets that I had through my education and teaching and doing reports and looking at quality metrics and analyzing data, following standards and trying to provide the evidence, the documentation that would meet those standards, that seemed to come fairly natural to me. I just had to change the topic area um, and it really, it worked out well, so. Well, yeah, and I'm glad you said that because a lot of my audience are therapists who have been hitting walls, getting into areas that have been reserved for registered nurses. What do you think was the turning point for the employer that hires you at that time? How did you sell yourself in that way? Or do you feel like it was one thing over another? Well, I don't know if it was one particular thing, but I think I think the number one reason was I had an advocate behind the scenes that was in the facility. And because she was a matter of fact, I think when I submitted my application, it got kicked out of the system because it didn't find the right you know, words that connect my resume to the job mm -hmm. because they were using, you know, I think some, you know, A.I., processes in their HR and it and it kicked my resume out so that, you know, at first I had to even get the resume in front of the manager. And I think that's where my friend really came into play um, and advocating for me and they trusted her. And so I, you know, I realized 
later what role she played in the hospital system. And it was pretty influential. So I was very fortunate to have a friend that that had that much influence. And then I think um, when I came into the interview, I brought examples of reports, some analysis that I had done and just how I reported that data out. And I think that made a difference, too, that they saw a skill set there, even though it's simple software. They saw how I was translating that information uh, into a presentation, which really was a lot of what I had to do in the very beginning. So what other barriers do you feel like you hit? So you when you were making that transition, of course, they wanted a registered nurse. They found out what they really needed was you. They just didn't (laughs) know it at the time. What other barriers did you face moving into a different role than one as a physical therapist? Um, I, I mean, I think your confidence gets shaken a little bit. And I had to really, every team member I turned to, I had to prove myself. And so I had to do a lot of self, self-taught, self-learning um, to, to get up to speed. We were in the early processes of developing what we called multidisciplinary teams and, and running steering committees. And often at a specific accreditation will require some type of regular meeting of a leadership group. And that was, you know, in particular, breast was cancer was one of those. And I had to prove myself from a presentation standpoint. I would be a nervous wreck getting ready for the meeting and and prepping. And I didn't really know my audience. And again, I had to rely on a few people that I seemed to make a connection with early. And so they would give me advice on how things were done. And they seemed to be open to change. But I think some barriers were I came in doing it a different way. And even though it worked, I think people just I had to give people time to get used to that change. And I wasn't even aware that that was a problem. So my enthusiasm, I think, rubbed people wrong initially. And um, I remember somebody asking me, can you dial it down a little bit? And I'm thinking (laughs) to myself, really? (laughs) So, you know, it's just, I think you have to quickly build some relationships that are, that you trust so that you're getting maybe an accurate read on the room or feedback. Um, And I was fortunate to have a a couple people that did that for me. They gave me some history, told me what was good and what was a big change. And that's why maybe people were reacting hesitantly. I mean, one person that I work with now who I'm very close to or very good co- colleagues, I remember that first year uh, ending a meeting and she looking at me going, oh, I wish uh, so-and-so was back. And it was a manager that had previously run those meetings. And I looked at her and I was just taken back. I said, I'll try to do a little better next time. I mean, it's, you know, just give me a little time. And I think oh. she was taken back because she what didn't she didn't want it to come across that way. She was just missing that other colleague. And so, you know, I think just being transparent and sometimes allowing yourself to be a little vulnerable will help you get more accurate feedback. Um, And sometimes that feedback can sting and you just you just have to find a way to, you know, maybe pout a little bit for, you know, a day and then pick up your bootstraps and try to learn from that that feedback, whether it was positive or negative, you know. Yeah, I love that. Um, It sounds like a network goes a long way. Yeah. And I'm not. Absolutely not an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. So I have to work hard. (laughs) I have to really work hard at those meetings and and connecting with people and networking. And when I hear the word networking, I want to run the other direction. Um, And so I think sometimes it's just some of those uh, short conversations or more one-on-one small group conversations where I can be a little more comfortable that you build that reputation. And I, I found a couple of people that I learned about their job and I was able to help them 
with a skill set I had, you know, maybe it was building a graph or analyzing data, which was definitely my strong point. And that helped them in return, I think, give me some feedback and help with a meeting or give me some direction. So it was kind of a two-way street, you know, so. Okay. So for those who may be wondering, what do you do in your role now? What is oncology quality and what do you do on a day-to-day? So that that quality improvement specialist role really grew quite quickly in, in a couple of years. And I've, I've been at this uh, facility institution for 10 years now, and I um, was able to move into a manager role and my role just kept growing and growing. And right now, as a manager of oncology quality and accreditation, my number one job is to manage our cancer specific program accreditations. And so we've got one accreditation that really covers the whole program in a more global way. And then we've got a couple of specific accreditations, one for our breast center, one that we're working on right now for rectal cancer. I got involved in lung cancer disease specific uh, certification that the Joint Commission um, actually sponsors. And then I play a supportive role in our American College of Radiology accreditation for radiation oncology. Um, There's a specific, it's American College of Radiology, but they have a specialty arm for radiation oncology. And I, you know, that's really a world I don't fully understand, but I play a real supportive role in quality studies, um, documentation, and just, you know, giving that manager some support, um, which has been very helpful to translate. So accreditation, and it's become, those are usually three-year cycles when you have surveys. And um, I am finding very quickly, just like everybody knows around Joint Commission, you've got to be ready all the time. Yes. Um, And it's not that we have to be ready for a surveyor to show up, but we have to be ready in the sense that we don't wait until the last minute to get the documentation together that we've got to stay up to date on standards that change on a regular basis. I just was fortunate to attend a conference last week that was really dedicated to all of these accreditations. And the timing of that was uh, really good because we have two surveys coming up in May. So that's the main role of, of my job. And what's evolved from that is we have physicians that are in our oncology institute that are under contract and they require quality measures to be associated with that contract. And so I'm part of a team that helps develop those measures each year. I help analyze the data that's collected by our uh, registry um, group and put it in a report. I help to host the meeting once a month um, with the individual practices and we're in a room with physicians and quality people and my director. And we talk through each measure and my role is to document what are they doing to improve their care through that measure. So we document any actions they've taken or maybe they've created a a trigger in their EMR. Maybe they've changed how they have the physicians do documentation. Um, They've done a lot of education with the physicians. And then I have also found that if I can match that measure to something else that we're doing from a quality initiative standpoint that is associated with the accreditation, great, because we help to get two birds with one stone in the sense Mm -hmm. that um, right now there's a big national quality improvement initiative that we participate in called Just Ask. And it's looking at 
how do we better screen our patients for smoking and any tobacco use? And our medical oncology practices have kind of fallen off the wagon with that being consistent in their practice. And so that we built that quality measure into their measures and it helped to spur on a connection to the bigger initiative. So that's another piece of what I do. We also manage at least 10 what we call tumor boards or cancer conferences where we um, invite our physicians to to submit cases, patient cases that are real time that they need discussion about. They need to review pathology. They need to review imaging. They need help from experts such as surgeons to determine a treatment plan that would be appropriate. And those conferences are usually cancer specific. You know, we have one for breast or lung or GI and oversee all of that. And we probably run eight to 10 conferences now a week. Um, it stays pretty oh, busy. Week. Yeah. And so um, we've just, you know, had another six or 7% increase. And when we had COVID and we had to deal with the challenges of COVID, we uh, shifted everything to 100% virtual. So even our radiologists and pathologists are virtual. We have a pathologist. It's, it's kind of exciting. They actually put a real slide on a microscope and it translates through a camera to their to their computer and they can show it through Zoom. And so we didn't miss a beat in making that transition. And it was just a lot of work. And I have a team that runs those conferences, but I oversee um, the responsibility of that. And then lastly, I think, you know, the QI studies that we participate in, whether they're national studies or they're homegrown, we build them internally. We have learned that we also can gain clinical research accruals or um, for those quality studies. And so I have used, been able to use my skill set around IRB, project summary development, um, methodology, and, and then eventually data collection and analysis. And I've helped um, several people in our Cancer Institute put posters together and present at conferences. And that kind of gets me back to what I was doing in my doctoral program and when I was teaching as a faculty member. So it's fun to make those connections there, but do it in a different realm. And so the quality improvement really is, you know, an up and coming place for people to be that don't have a real strong research background. I think it's an easy way to come up with an idea, look at something, make an improvement and then see that in the data. And, you know, it's a skill set. It's something you have to learn. But I think it's a great segue for many different clinicians to get involved in that don't ordinarily you know, ordinarily have that opportunity. So. so for those who aren't going back to school to get a different degree, how would you suggest they learn data to the level that they might need it in a role like this? So I, you know, I learned actually at the conference last week, the American College of Surgeons, who was the sponsor for the conference, um, they have an online quality improvement methodology course that they just posted. And I was real excited to see that because they're trying to build the skill set of all the people that are working on their quality projects. And there is a small fee, but it's not terribly expensive. I think it was around $250 and it's a self-paced module um, project. And, you, you know, out there in the community, you can go to universities and other sponsors and take, you know, a, a Lean Six course, Six Sigma course. Um, and sometimes that can be very expensive. Um, and, and you can maybe get it done in the day. Maybe it's a six-week type period. And I've looked for those opportunities and to see this organization provide that 
readily has been helpful. And I learned a lot of, of I learned about some tools um, that are used, but I think even just doing a web search, I have found a lot of good information on different types of quality improvement tools and methods that helps me understand the language when I sit at the table. And that's where nursing, I think, has an edge on um, me with a background in physical therapy. We didn't get that type of learning in uh, our physical therapy programs, and we don't tend to get exposed to it in the clinical setting unless we're working on a multidisciplinary team. And so we've got a lot more resources at our fingertips just using the web, but I was excited to see that course available to us. And I'm going to take advantage of that, you know, because I think that's a kind of a foot in the door um, to see if I want to maybe pursue the Lean Six Sigma or do something um, more in a certification realm, which I don't absolutely need for my job. But I think it would help me have the language and sit sit at the table with nurses in particular um, and be more successful. So I love that you said that and the way you said understanding the lingo so that then you can understand what's happening at the table that you're at. Right. Right. And so people respect your what you bring to the table because they feel like you understand what's happening. Right. Right. And um, good point. Tell people that, too, about certification. Certifications are great if you use them for the right reason. Right. And I think being able to apply that new skill right away. And I could see this this course being able to do that for me. And I'm uh, now moving a little bit towards these quality studies and the expectation that we come up with, you know, four or five a year is now the new expectation because it's helping to supplement our clinical research program. And all the accreditations require a percentage of your patients to be involved in clinical research. And if we can get credit for that through quality studies, then I feel like I'm really contributing a big piece to our accreditation. And I enjoy that. I mean, not everybody likes to read articles and synthesize information and try to write a project summary. And um, it's real, it can be a very intimidating process. Um, And I, I really enjoy it. And I think that's a good fit for me as an introvert to sit at a desk and work for a couple hours and come up with an idea. And it's it's been a great way too to build some relationship with the physicians. They don't have time to do that, but they're they really like the idea of some of these quality studies. For instance, we did a what we call a guideline study, which we have to do every year where you pick a cancer site and you look at how you're treating patients and you compare it to the national guidelines mm-hmm. and you see where your gaps are. And we looked at colorectal cancer and patients that have that primary cancer and develop a liver mets um, or liver metastasis. And we were noting that there wasn't enough multidisciplinary discussions. These cases weren't being presented at conference. It was a very low percentage. And yet there were some really good newer treatment options available for these patients through our surgeons and through our interventional radiology and there, there was no discussion. The medical oncologists just assumed that there was no treatment and just did more palliative type of care where these patients actually had a shot at maybe having a cure or, or you know, resolving that metastasis. And so we've developed a quality study now. And it's really simple concept in that we're just trying to identify patients and then communicate with the managing physician and encourage that multidisciplinary discussion or submission to the cancer conference. I mean, it's a real simple concept, but it's made us develop a process to do that so that it's sustainable 
And that's where the quality improvement comes into play. And the docs really were engaged in that conversation. And so that's kind of exciting that you can put something on the table that a physician might respect and um, and you elevate yourself a little bit in that conversation. Yeah, now you got me interested in this course through um, the American College of Surgeons. I think I'm going to look it up myself. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's not that pricey. No, it's not. And um, I think I looked up the website and American College of Surgeons, you know, is a big organization, but they do a a lot of accreditation and they've got a quality. Now they have a quality improvement committee now that's crossing over across their different uh, types of accreditations. And um, this course is part of their education component um, and anybody can take it. You don't have to be a member. So. Oh, that's awesome. Hi, friend. Are you listening to this podcast wondering how you can start your own journey into healthcare quality? Or maybe you've already started, but you're hitting some roadblocks and getting stuck at the application process. Well, my friend, I've got a free resource for you. After you finish listening to this episode, head on over to my website and grab the ebook, Top Three Mistakes Clinicians Make When Transitioning into a Non-Clinical Role. The link will be in the show notes section. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. So what advice would you give someone who wanted to take a similar path to yours? Um, I think, you know, if you're looking to, you know, leave, you know, you think about as a clinician, if we want to move on to a different setting, and that's the the wonderful part about physical therapy, and, and you see it in nursing too, you can change settings if you want. Well, what do you do when you change settings? You usually go take continue education courses, or you try to shadow someone, um, or you find a mentor. And so when I initially started looking at kind of a career shift or a change, that's when I took some college courses, but because I really wasn't sure what kind of degree I wanted to work on. And a lot of the universities offer continuing education, or you can take one course at a time. And I did that. And I think what it did is it pulled me away from an environment where I was getting a little discouraged Mm -hmm. um, and it helped give me some, it kind of renewed my energy and got me thinking. um, And I became a little more productive. I actually became more successful at my job because I just had a different mindset, but then um, it helped link me to options where I found um, the program I'm I'm doing and you don't have to go get a PhD. I mean, you know, it might be that you get, a master's degree in in healthcare, and there's so many options now. Even with a an MBA, there's a lot of tracks that you can go down with an MBA that are healthcare related. That might be more research, it might be more leadership, it might be more quality oriented. There's just a lot of options, and and so much can be done online now or part time if you have a family or you're. Um, trying to juggle and and you can't quit your job and you have to work, you know, I think it's it's more feasible now for people to take advantage of of that. I watched my brother do the same thing just recently this year, finished an MBA and he did everything online and he did it in two years. And so, um, you know, it was and it's been real beneficial to him. And I I see education really as being key. I think it opens your lens it broadens your view a little bit. Um, it helps your analytical skills and improves your communication skills. It kind of helps some of those soft skills that you might need to make connections and move ahead. And you're learning at the same time, some level of topic. But I can tell you there were a lot of skills that I learned uh, during my doctoral program that I never would have fathomed. That was part of the curriculum. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, learning how to communicate and 
understanding theory that I didn't understand before and, and, you know, human behavior. I mean, I just got that as part of my program and just building my analytical skills. And I, I've watched colleagues that have not gone back to school and that's okay, but they, they've chosen other routes, but I see them hit ceilings in their, in the workplace because they don't have the skill set to go to the next level. And a lot of it is analytical skills and you, you develop that, I think, slowly through your education. Yeah, absolutely. And you also, do you have your um, GCS? I, I let it go. Um, it, it expired, but I did have my board certification in geriatrics, yes. And it was, you know, very appropriate and beneficial when I was teaching uh, in the academic program. But when I stepped away from the clinical setting, it I it was really uh, more difficult to renew that because I didn't have the clinical hours. So um, I just recently let it go. But it's always an achievement that I've made. And in my opinion, even though I don't have a certificate up in my wallet, it's still something that I have in my back pocket. So <laughs> yeah, something you should definitely be proud of. Um, the reason I asked was because I know people ask about different certifications and how that played into getting into, you know, a non-traditional or non-bedside role. So mm-hmm, I was just wondering mm-hmm. if that played, if that had an impact at all in when you first got that quality improvement role. Um, I don't think that played that particular certification didn't play a role, but I think probably what played the biggest role in the job I'm in now is my research background and just having those those analytical skills. I mean, you know, someone who goes and takes I mean, it sounds simple, but someone who goes and takes Microsoft Office, you know, software um, classes that are a day at a, at a time. I mean, those sometimes it takes you gives you a break away from work and you learn how to use, I mean, those are just so important in the world that I'm in. Um, being able to use Excel um, access is actually a software that I'm seeing a lot of value for because we're using it. And then being able to develop uh, PowerPoints, understanding what quality dashboards are. Mm-hmm. That was a big concept that I didn't understand that I looked up a lot and you just keep seeing examples and um, understanding how to build um, a graphic that's like a workflow or a process. I learned last week at the conference a tool that is called Mural, and it's a free software that you can get online and you can create those workflows um, when you're trying to develop a process to find a gap or something you want to improve upon. And so sometimes just simple courses like that. And I think the advantage of courses like that is you're in a class usually with so many other disciplines. I mean, you're not in a class with just physical therapists. And Mm -hmm. so you also sometimes get insight from somebody maybe even a business background or somebody who's in a different field trying to use the same software for something they're doing. And, And I think you can learn from that too, you know. That yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Being around the interdisciplinary team more. Yeah. To be able to build your, I guess, trust with them so that they trust that you know what you're doing and that you can have those conversations with them. Right. Yeah. Because before I left the clinical setting, one of the last um, things I got involved in is we we purchased um, the facility I was at, purchased a turnkey program for total joint replacement. And it was kind of in the very cusp of coming together and formulating a multidisciplinary team for a specific program development like total joints. Mm-hmm. And I loved total joints. I love taking care of those patients. And I got to sit at the table with this 
multidisciplinary team that was a little intimidating. Um, and we all went down to Florida together and learned about this program when they purchased it and received training and came back. And, you know, that was that took me away from the bedside a little bit. And, and it really was a great learning experience. And, and I had to develop reports and I had to learn how to talk in front of physician groups and give presentations. And, you know, um, that was probably some an early step that I took and kind of in the direction that I'm that I am in now. Well, very good. I love total joints, too. I used to work so much with ortho and I missed it a little bit. But, you know, total joint replacement and post-op care has come so far. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> I started as a, as a PT at the bedside and um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the future. But Oh, absolutely. I remember when they, when you would spend seven days in the hospital after a total hip and now you go home the same day. So yeah. <laughs> and sometimes within hours, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I skipped this at the beginning because we uh, were in such a great conversation, but tell the audience how we know each other. So you and I connected, I think, when we were doing a lot around oncology rehab. I mean, um, I was in the oncology program and part of our accreditation is really helping to pull in other disciplines to provide that supportive care to patients and rehab is one of them. And you were working in a, in a role with rehab that I think was data oriented and quality oriented. And there was a, I guess, lack of a better word, a subcommittee or a task force that was developed around oncology rehab uh, in specific to develop that service line and be able to tap into the cancer program and provide services that were more specific to the oncology patient. And boy, that's really grown a lot. And so um, I really appreciated your what you brought to the table from an analytical standpoint and just the data. And, and I think the challenge was, how do we get data? How do we get it out of the mm-hmm. EMR? And how do you get it out in an efficient way and in a report? And then what do you do with it? Um, and I think you were very instrumental in that. And um, that's where I think, you know, our our ultimate co- uh, connection was. And, you know, a lot of the rehab staff took on the opportunity of a certification program that we had for a while. Um, but I think, you know, your skill set kind of helped drive some of that data that prove the the efficacy of that program um, and it's really continued to grow tremendously. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever shared this with you, Dawn, but when we first met, I was so inspired by you because I was like <laughs> like fangirling, like, oh my gosh, there's a PC who's in quality. Cause I was I was in an introductory quality role at that time and I was in the rehab department. Uh-huh. And so that's when I had first gotten interest in what is quality and this is a direction I think I want to go. And I met you, but didn't know that you were a PT at the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out you were a PT, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a PT. Oh my God, you're like, she can do it. I can do it, kind of thing. So I don't know that you knew that you inspired me then, but I was just so intrigued by, because at that, at that point I had never seen a therapist do that. Because this was like years ago. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, you you asked a question earlier about advice for people. I remember when I was looking at this job initially, I somehow, I can't remember how I got connected to her, but it was a PT up in the Northeast and she was working in a quality position. And I reached out to her and she was very, um, she made herself available, was welcoming to a conversation. And we had a great conversation. And she, I think, was one of the early PTs that, broke into that quality world 
And we had these very same conversations about barriers and, oh, nurses think they're the only ones that can do these jobs and and some of the struggles she had. And she was very uh, inspirational for me to take a chance and, and do this job that I'm currently in now and grow with it. And she also connected me to some resources with a section of APTA that I wouldn't have even put together. And it's the health policy section. Uh I think they've actually updated their name of their section. But um, if you look at their curriculum, I love combined sections every year. That's my, my favorite conference with APTA. And their section tends to do a lot of courses around um, leadership and quality. Uh-huh. And I've taken some really good courses um, in, in their section. And it just wasn't something that was on my radar until after talking with this um, PT that I connected with. So Awesome. It's amazing how the people we connect with leads us along a different a path that we may not have otherwise taken, but has been so, I mean, for me, quality has been great. Yes, there are some hard days because the work can be heavy when you're working mm-hmm. with people and outcomes. But I can't imagine where I would be if I had not gone through the healthcare quality route. Right. Yeah. And I think my years of experience um, before I got into my doctoral program was very, very beneficial. Everything I did in my doctoral program, I could connect to something in my clinical world. And so um, I think it gave me a level of maturity that a lot of my student colleagues didn't have because right. many students these days are going from bachelor of science to master's to doctoral. I mean, I was in a lab with a student that went right on through and I, and, and she was great, but there were things she was missing and intuitively, and it's some of it was that she was young, but some of it is she didn't have that real world experience. So I encourage people to not rush it. Um, You know, I thought I'd be in acute care five years. And then 12 years later, I was still doing it because I loved it. I love the change every day, but I was able to grow um, in different ways within that environment. And then I needed to kind of move, move away from there. And I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I took some courses, but I also left the organization then and did some home health thinking, I just need to go get another job that I don't ha- that I didn't have as a new grad and prove to myself, I can get another job in physical therapy and do it. And I loved home health, but I was missing colleagues. I was missing, I was still missing something. Uh-huh. And so I think when you're, when you've got an itch and you're missing something, your gut's telling you, you need to make a change. You've got to listen to it. And I remember when I got accepted in the doctoral program and I remember I saw that letter, I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? <laughs> but it ended up being, you know, a, a really, it was challenging every day, but it was a really good experience. So. Well, very good. And I know we've um, touched on this throughout the conversation, but just to close the loop, so to speak, what was your defining point through all of this? Um, I mean, I had some moments when I was teaching that I, I think my, it was probably my second, end of my second year of teaching. Those student evaluations are always, you know, you you get 10 of them that are great and one that isn't, and that that one that isn't sticks with you. And I was trying to figure out what was I doing wrong that just didn't make that connection. And it finally clicked for me. Um, and I, you know, really, not that those evaluations were all that important, but it really made um, for a better experience in the classroom. And then I think the other milestone for me was that first accreditation that I went through when I first joined the institution I'm with now, when I was leading that process and so intimidated and so new at it, but yet here I was leading it. And then we had a great 
surveyor. Fortunately, we had a good experience, positive, no deficiencies, and got our credit, got our renewal on our accreditation. And I remember my director coming back to me and just being so thrilled. And I was exhausted, you know, after that one day. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. I mean, because it just was a that was the platform for me to step off and do bigger things. So well, very cool. I just I just love your story so much. And I'm so appreciative of you taking the time to share with me. I, mean, I learned a lot about you today that I didn't know. Um, so for sharing with my audience, but also sharing with me, I have I'm just even more inspired. <laughs> I'm just getting a lot of positive energy just from the connection. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining in. Your support means everything. Be sure to subscribe to the show, share this episode with your friends and colleagues, and rate the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I'd love to hear from you, so find me on LinkedIn at BrandyDPT or on my website at www.definingpointcc.com. Enjoy the rest of your day.